Thanks very much, James. Keep that open, um, and you'll see it's, uh, it's in the Bible, as James has just said, but it's also actually printed inside uh, the order of service, too. That's easier for you. Well, on Friday this week, the... On Friday this week, the UK said goodbye to the European Union, uh, a farewell moment. Um, perhaps recently, uh, you may have had uh, a workplace that you've left behind, you've changed job, or someone's retired perhaps, and you've said a farewell to your colleagues there. Jesus' words spoken here from our reading tonight, starting a new section of John, right through actually the next five chapters to 17 is a farewell speech. It's a farewell moment. He's preparing the disciples for that time that he's not going to be with them any longer. And it's this change of tone you get here at this point in John's Gospel between chapter 12, uh, where Jesus has been gathering his disciples, performing signs and teaching them who he is, and people beginning to follow him, others, though, becoming hostile. There's this change in chapter 13 where he says to his 12 disciples now gathered in this upper room it's almost it's the night before he's going to be arrested put on trial and crucified he's preparing them for life after his departure it's a farewell speech and he starts this section in our reading tonight with yes some words but actually it's really a farewell action it's an action with a number of different meanings clues in it that will help the disciples to make sense of what happens later and especially two things that he's pointing ahead to preparing them with these two events that will happen one is very imminent his crucifixion that he's going to die and rise and return to heaven and a little further down the line the sending of the spirit by which he will come back to his disciples to live within them as we've been Uh, praying for Harriet tonight to live within them by his spirit his sacrifice and then the sending of the spirit there's two things that he's pointing to all the way through this section and there are three actually three different meanings in this extraordinary action of Jesus washing the disciples feet he's really going to unpack and explain their connection with the sacrifice he'll make with the sending of the Spirit, later in this series. So again, if you're uh, coming back, keep coming to this series because we'll walk through these very significant farewell words of Jesus. But here are the three things that this foot-washing action tells his followers. When he washes the disciples' feet, he demonstrates his love for them, he declares a promise to them and to us, and then he sets an example. So first of all, he demonstrates his love. Did you see that? John introduces this uh, action with those words at the very beginning. Verse 1, if you've got the uh, Bible open with the numbers in it. Verse 1. Before the Passover feast, he knew his hour had come to leave this world and go to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world. That's a reference to his followers who will be left behind in this dark, difficult world when he goes. He loved them to the end. doesn't mean he kind of loved them and stopped loving them. It means he loved them to the uttermost, more than he'd even loved them before, right to the limit. 
And of course, he loved them just by sitting at table with them because to share a meal was a sign of love and welcome in that culture. It still is or should be today. Um, he loves them, even he loves his own enemy. A couple of references in this reading, weren't there, to the one that's going to betray him, Judas, sitting there across the table from him. He loves Judas and includes him in this meal. Uh, all powers in his hands, we're told. The father who sent him has lovingly entrusted him with everything. And yet he spends this meal with his closest followers preparing them for his death. But they look around puzzled, don't they? Because something's wrong. Something's missing from the meal at the moment. They've, they've come in. They've taken their places. He's the rabbi, the teacher, the place of honor. They've come around him as his disciples, his learners. And they're waiting for the servant who's going to come in and start washing their feet. Because that's what you did. You'd been out on a dusty road where camels had left their calling cards earlier in the day. Your feet were smelly and dirty. And a servant would come and wash your feet before you began the meal. It was just part of the culture, part of the custom. And there's no servant there. So they're looking around saying, well, where are they? And then, with meticulous detail, Jesus plays the role of the servant. Verse 4, he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist... After that, poured water into a basin, began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with the towel around his waist. You could hear a pin drop. Astonishment. The master's being the servant. The only sound was the, the splash of the water in the bowl as they watch, embarrassed. It's hard in our culture to appreciate just how amazing this love is that Jesus shows. He loves them to the end. So we see, we're going to see there's an even deeper meaning going in here. Is how is this such a loving action? But just to leave the place of the master and become the servant to his own disciples. It's rather like if you're at the university, the, the chancellor of the university who perhaps at the degree ceremony will be there and all their regalia, all the gowns and all very splendid. Um, but over drinks afterwards, they might just say to you, oh, you know, by the way, and what, what room number are you again? Because I'm going to come tomorrow. I'm going to hoover your room for you, clean your little coffee mugs, piled up on the table, empty your bin for you, and make your bed. You think, hang on, this is the Chancellor speaking. That's not what they do. Jesus the servant, loving them to the end. You might say, well, actually, it's not unknown, Richard. People do this kind of thing. People do sometimes not stand on ceremony and they serve other people. A few years ago, when the new Pope, Pope Francis, became Pope, he quite famously renounced living in the huge papal palace and lived in a cottage instead. That's a great symbolic action, isn't it? But, but of course, he's a man, Pope Francis. Jesus is God's son in human form. And he left, everything. He left heaven to come to earth. How much more extraordinary to leave the place of honour and become the servant. One act of love. And we're going to see this act is much more than just a demonstration of his love, but it's certainly not less than a demonstration of his love for all who come to him, all who follow him. 
So I can ask you, when did you last ponder the wonder of Jesus' love demonstrated here? His love for all who come to him, whoever we are, whatever we've done, when did you last stop and wonder at that and thank him for it? You see, he doesn't just love at the beginning, he loves to the end. He doesn't just love small, he loves limitless. He doesn't just love saints, he even loves Judas, the betrayer. He certainly loves sinners, people like you and me. So it's an extraordinary demonstration of love. But it's also, secondly, Jesus declares a promise. And here we get to the deeper meaning of what he's doing here. In verse 6, Jesus comes to Peter to wash his feet. Peter, often an enthusiast, if you read the Gospels, you'll know this about him. As he sees Jesus reach into the bottle of water, he sees the towel on his arm. He says, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? He's got it, hasn't he? It is the wrong way around. It should be the servant doing this job, but but Peter would rather see himself doing it than Jesus doing it. Just embarrassing. Are you going to wash my feet? Jesus, verse 7, replies, you don't realize now what I'm doing, but later you'll understand. Later you'll understand. He's going to explain, actually, in a few moments what this loving action is really all about. It's not just about love and service. It points to the cross. Next day, where he is going to bear the sins of all his people as the innocent sufferer for all who come to him. After Easter, he says, you'll understand this stuff. I'll rise again in three days' time and I'll appear to you, and then this will make sense. Right now, it's a struggle, isn't it? You just can't get it. That I'm not just washing your feet, I'm dying for your sins. I'm washing your sins away. I'm giving my life for you. This loving act is not just about Jesus' love for his followers, though it is that. Um, it's not just about the example he sets of how we're to love each other, and it is that. We'll come to that. But right in the middle of it here, It's about how the very love of God for us can include us and embrace us, whoever we are, because we're washed. Now, Peter's still not happy. Jesus saying, you'll understand later. So, verse 8, he says, no, 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 no. You shall never wash my feet to the end of time. You're not going to do it. And Jesus explains that this sign... This water is about not just the feet getting wet, about the heart being washed. Second half of verse 8. Unless I wash you, Peter, you could insert your name there, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. Serious words, aren't they? Rather like, unless your relative writes your name in the will... You have no part in the inheritance. If they do, if your name's there, you're in. He's saying, to be washed by me is to belong in me and to me. With his washing, I belong. Without it, 
I'm outside. Years ago, I went along to a, meet a friend of mine who's a member of a posh London club. Uh, met him for breakfast, as you did apparently in this club. Um, and I was just a you know, disheveled medical student in those days, so I turned up looking a bit of a mess, as students often do, I'm told. Um, and the guy at the door met me and looked me up and down and wouldn't let me in. You know, didn't have the jacket, didn't have a tie on, didn't look very smart. And I said, but, you know, I'm, I'm meeting Rupert here, he, he's a member here. And fortunately, he then said, okay, I'll, I'll give him a call. And he, he rang through, uh, and Rupert came running down and met me and said, no, it's okay, he's with me. And they lent me a jacket and a tie, and, and I was kind of in. And I made up sure from that point I didn't let Rupert out of my sight because he was my in to this place. You know, I, I'm, I'm kind of with this guy. I belong here. If he's here, I'm in. And you and I, says Jesus, if we're washed by him, we're in. Unless you're washed, you have no part in me. But if you're washed, oh, that's different. You're in. You belong. That's why baptism is such a powerful sign, isn't it, of belonging in Christ. Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. If I do... You belong. It's like having a bath, isn't it? As Peter's beginning to clock, it cleanses me from head to toe. I belong because I'm completely washed now. I'm completely clean. He hasn't just washed my fingers or my feet. He's washed me inside. I'm his. He's mine. I'm with Jesus. Sure, Jesus says, uh, as Peter argues with him, and says, well, in that case, not just my feet, my head, my hands. Jesus says, no, no, if if I've washed you, you're clean. Sure, you'll pick up dirt on the road and you'll need your feet washing. But see those really extraordinary words as Peter argues with him again. Verse 10, a person who's had a bath and he's only to wash his feet, his whole body is clean. And see these four words, and you are clean. And you are clean. Those are the great words at the heart of this story. The heart of Jesus and why he's come. To make us clean. You are clean. Okay, he says not everyone. He's referring to Judas there. Uh, Not to any of us here this evening. Uh, But you are clean. Aren't those great words? Precious words. You are clean. It's once and for all. Sure, you know, each day I need to come back and confess the sins of the last 24 hours or however often you do that, rather like having your feet washed. But those are just the keeping a short account with God, keeping the relationship strong. You are clean. If you are in Christ, if you've come to him, you are clean. And maybe someone here, um, you're enthusiastic for God like Peter was. Um, you just didn't know that all is needed is Jesus to wash your sins away. You thought it was something you had to do, something to contribute. He says, if you have a part in me, then zeal's a great thing. Be enthusiastic for Christ. But you also need the knowledge too. You need to know what Peter's discovering, that it begins with the heart, with the washing of Christ, with what we call redemption, being set free in heart, and regeneration. That's the new heart he gives us. A new start washed of sin, a new heart regenerated forever. And if you are kind of in, on the outside, a little looking in this evening at, at Christ, then we mentioned the Discover course earlier. We'd love you to come along to that, bring your friends to that, uh, and we'll open up there what it means to find Christ and be washed and to live in Him. 
But it could be someone here. You just need God to remind you of the wonder of being washed. The wonder that everything wrong, all the guilt I feel, all the mistakes I've made, that's all been washed away. And as I stand before God in Christ, he sees a clean person. You are clean, says Jesus. If he's washed you, if you've received that gift of sins forgiven through his death, you are clean. If you perhaps feel guilty still for sins that you've committed and still commit from time to time, they plague you, he says to you, no, you are clean. If you feel you haven't done enough to deserve his love, to deserve this extraordinary gift, he still says to you, no, you are clean. Isn't that a wonderful promise, he declares, just in those words, you are clean. So he demonstrates his love. He declares this promise of washing. And then lastly, just a bit more briefly, he sets an example. So you pick it up now at verse 12, that last paragraph, if you're in the copy in the service sheet. He returns to his place at the head of the meal and asks another awkward question. Do you understand what I've done for you? And you could, I think bet your bottom dollar, the honest answer they should have given them, uh, we would give to is, well, actually, no. <laughs> I don't really. What was that about? Now, he said later they'll understand the spiritual meaning of washing. Once Easter's come and they've received the Spirit, they'll get that. They'll preach of the world. But right now, he says, there's a simpler point to this. I've left you an example. You call me teacher and Lord, you're right, I am. Well, you know that sometimes a servant has to follow the master's example. Sometimes a learner, disciple, has to do what their teacher does. That's the point for you right now. Go and do to each other what I have done for you. Be a servant. Don't be above service. That command I leave you with to love and serve each other is as binding as any we have. Now, he washed their disciples' feet. He then says, um, you should do as I've done for you. There's a little bit a step of interpretation to do here, just very quickly. Um, there are two ways we could interpret that. We could say, literally, Jesus washed their feet, so we should wash each other's feet today. Some churches do do this um, as a kind of frequent ritual. Uh, they've made a, a foot-washing ritual out of it. English kings, actually, in the medieval days, used to wash the feet of 12 poor people on the day before Good Friday to remember this action of Jesus. Um, I think it was in the 17th century. They stopped doing that. They give them money, Maundy money, instead today. The Pope still does foot-washing uh, each year on the day before Good Friday. Now, the other way to interpret this is to say, well, washing feet was a culturally appropriate way to show that you're a servant to someone, to serve them. What would be the way today that we could show culturally appropriate service to someone? Just rather, Paul, for instance, elsewhere says that we should greet each other with a holy kiss. In our culture, we might say, well, maybe it's a kiss or a hug or a fist bump. I think that second way, cultural translation 
It's probably a more helpful, faithful way to apply Jesus' example today, certainly for us all. You see, the question for me as I see you tomorrow, as we meet each other within the church family this week, is is not, uh, can I just take your shoes, how, how clean your feet, can I wash your feet for you today? It's, how can I serve you? Have you got burdens that I can perhaps help you shoulder? Are there things between us that I can perhaps forgive in you? Is there a need you have for prayer, for some practical help that I could perhaps be serving you with? Think of a servant-hearted Christian, a lady that we knew a number of years ago, whose husband in ministry died um, tragically young. And she was left with no income, no savings, uh, nowhere to live. And a group of people in the church, wonderful people, they got around her and they said, we're going to get a fund, a kitty together, and we're going to buy you a house so that you'll be secure in the latter part of your life. That's a great, great act of service. And I think, you know, Karen and I, over the years, we've known countless other saints who have, have sat with a dying person right to the end or who've just put up shelves for someone who physically was unable to do it themselves or who've taken a meal around when a baby was born because they knew the family was going to struggle in that very busy time or have mown a lawn for someone that was unable to do it themselves. That's all service that those people learned from Jesus, isn't it? I've set you an example, he says, that you should do for others as I've done for you. Serve each other. Do you understand, says Jesus, what I've done? This is your example. So that's the question for you and me, isn't it, as we finish this evening. Whose burdens are you carrying at the moment for Christ? Who are you forgiving in Christ? Who's got a need that you are meeting? Because you know God's put you there for that. Now Jesus ends by saying that you, if you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do them. Verse 17, now that you know these things, about this love I've demonstrated, this promise I've given you, but this example I've set, now you know these things, you'll be blessed if you do. Now this is actually quite a dangerous reading, isn't it, tonight, therefore? Quite a dangerous sermon you've just heard. Because we can't now say, can we, oh, I didn't know about that. The test, says Jesus, is not that you remember what I'm showing you, or that you know it, it's that you're doing it. And yes, we do it in the grace of Christ, out of love for Christ. Not to earn his favor, but just because he did this for us. But let's pray for his grace, that we could grasp his love, hold on to that promise of washing, but also live out his example. Let's pray now. Lord, we pray for each other this evening. We pray that you will train us in Christ to love each other, to serve each other as you in Christ served us so graciously. Point us to need that we can help to meet within the body of Christ. But we also pray uh, for anyone here who's searching for your love, 
longing to be washed, to be clean. We pray that we may all go from here, walking in Christ, in full assurance of sins forgiven, and of a new heart that by your Spirit you've made to be born again in us. Teach us to trust your love, to trust your promise, and to walk your way. In Jesus' name, amen.